0: If you ever find yourself in lower Manhattan, you never know, uh, you might be tempted to have a burger at the Shake Shack in Greenwich Village. Shake Shack's the New York version of In-N-Out burgers or Chick-fil-A or Burgerville or whatever your favorite regional fast food joint is, right? And uh, Shake Shack has a kind of romantic startup story, I mean, as romantic as a burger can be, but uh, they started just as a rolling hot dog stand at a park in New York City, and now they've grown to almost... 250 stores, so many other countries even. But the Shake Shack in Greenwich Village, it's very small. It's unassuming. You'd never guess that it brings in twice as much money as the average McDonald's store. And part of the reason is that it's not in any ordinary Shake Shack. On the surface, it's small. It's unassuming. Just another burger joint. But if you walk down the stairs, past the bathrooms, through a set of double doors, you find an entirely different story. That's where you find the Innovation Kitchen. This is the place where Shake Shack experiments, dreams up new menu items, tries to grow their business, and, and they have a very specific strategy that they employ. They try all kinds of innovative things, but all under the banner of one important motto. See, for Shake Shack, they know that the bigger you get, the smaller you have to act. The bigger you get, the smaller you have to act. In other words, they work hard to keep growing, keep expanding without losing that small hot dog stand charm that they started with. So for them, the bigger you get, the smaller you have to act. Well, believe it or not, God employs something of the same strategy. You see, God has a problem. And before you pick up stones and label me a heretic, let me explain a little bit. God has a size problem. He is Big, very big, bigger than Shake Shack will ever be, bigger than we can imagine. My favorite passage about God's bigness or his grandness comes from Psalm 113. Listen to these words. The Lord is exalted above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Notice this description of God. He, he stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He's big. He's so big, so grand, so glorious. He has to stoop down to look at the heavens and the earth. It, it's as if he's, he's bending over a microscope, peering down at the earth. That's how big God is. He, he's bigger than we could imagine. But that's not the problem. In fact, God's bigness, his grandness is a good thing. I told you I wasn't a heretic, right? Now, the problem is one of God's own making. He's, he's bigger than we can fathom, but the problem is he wants to be small. Just like the Shake Shack, God knows that the bigger you get, the smaller you need to act. And God wants to act small. He wants to be intimately connected to us. He wants to know us so well that even the hairs on our head are numbered. And that's a problem. I mean, it would be a problem for anyone other than God but he's got a perfect solution to that problem. This morning, we're going to wrap up our summer series, wrap up our study of the parables. And starting next week, we're going to begin a brand new study we're calling Anchored. And that's a series about our own problems, if you will. Starting next week, we're going to talk about how do we respond when we're tired, when we're facing a fight facing that uphill climb when we work and work on our own and we get nowhere, no results. All our striving just makes things harder, not easier. In times like that, it's really tempting to just throw in the towel, just to take the easy way out. But the author of the book of Hebrews warns against this. He holds out hope for us in times like these. He teaches us how to anchor ourselves in truth that is greater than our struggles. So that's coming next week. I hope you'll commit to join us and I hope you'll use the invites that we have to bring a friend with you. We all know somebody who's on the ropes, right? Ready to give up tired of fighting, we all know that person. And this is going to be a helpful series for people in that situation, for all of us. So, so use those invitations, bring your friend. It's going to be an encouraging study for us as individuals and also for our church during a unique uh, season of, uh, of our church. Our church is certainly experiencing a lot of the same challenges that the church in the book of Hebrews experienced. And so this study is going to be an encouragement to us all. But before we get to that we got one final parable this week, wrapping up our series, The Storyteller and Understanding God's Size problem. So let's dive into that. This this final parable we'll talk about comes in Matthew 13. And the whole chapter, Matthew 13, is, is a series of parables. We've looked at one of them uh, already this summer. We looked at the parable of the soils or the sower. We looked at it twice, in fact. But the entire chapter is devoted to parables of the kingdom. Jesus is teaching about the nature of his kingdom. He says over and over, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he uses these parables to explain the the heart of his mission, ushering in the kingdom of God. And so these parables are a series of analogies, really, not stories necessarily the way some parables are, but they're just short, simple comparisons. And one of those is, is the one we'll look at today, the parable of the mustard seed. So Matthew 13, it starts in verse 31. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. So that's it. A brief parable, just an analogy, really, but there are a few important details to notice about this parable. Like most parables, you can read it, and right away you kind of understand it on some level, but also some careful thought reveals a little bit further uh, insight and meaning. So first, let's get some science out of the way, okay? Okay. The mustard seed is not actually the smallest seed that there is. Jesus gets a lot of grief because he says this. It's not scientifically accurate. A lot of folks want to just dismiss everything that Jesus says because they can find a seed that's smaller than a mustard seed. Or they want to say, well, you can't trust what the Bible says. It's been changed over the centuries because, look, Jesus is wrong. Here's some proof. Well, let's just tap the brakes on that for just a second, okay? Jesus is not teaching a biology lesson. He's just making a comparison. Like all the parables, he's taken something known and he's putting it alongside something that's less known or unknown. What is the kingdom like? It's like something you already know about, right? That's, in fact, what the word parable means, to to put alongside. You compare things, right? So Jesus is not confused. I'm sure he knows what the smallest seed is. I mean, he did create everything. After all, he knows it's not a mustard seed. But if Jesus had said, the kingdom of heaven is like an epiphytic orchid seed from the family orchidaceae, The people would have stopped listening right there and said, this guy's even crazier than we thought. Hide the children, right? So Jesus' assessment of this mustard seed is not a scientific treatise, okay? The parables are stories, they're analogies, they're just figures of speech, and the mustard seed is really, really small. That's his point. And and there was a lot of discussion amongst uh, rabbis of Jesus' time about the mustard seed. It was a common reference point for something really, really small. I'm not going to bore you with all the references to rabbis teaching about small things that compared to mustard seeds, but it was a very common idea. It came up a lot. So Jesus is just connecting people to something that they already know, something they're already familiar with. They would have heard it, and they would have had some context for it, okay? Now, a lot of folks also attack Jesus based on the fact that mustard plants don't get to be that big. Like, how could a bird come and nest in a shrub that's this tall, right? But... Uh, but there are mustard trees, again, not a technical term, tree, shrub, I don't know, whatever. But there's a variety of mustard plant in Israel that's big and sturdy. It gets to be like 10 or 12 feet tall, certainly big enough for birds to come and nest. So we can kind of put to rest some of the objections to Jesus' words here. It's just a figurative story. But as we look at some of the details of the story, there's some things we want to pay attention to. One thing to notice here is that this person, this farmer, does something a little strange. He takes just one mustard seed and he plants it. He's not like the farmer in the previous parable who's scattering seed here and there. He's just got one tiny little seed and he plants it. He's not looking to get a big, big crop, turn it into bottles and bottles of French's mustard. He's just planting one seed. And he knows that seed is going to produce. It's going to produce something very big. So he plants it with a lot of confidence. Why, it's almost as if this person has a size problem and and he's figured out how to solve that size problem. You picking up what I'm laying down? This is really the key to the parable. Just one seed, one very small, seemingly insignificant thing will grow into something amazing. and something that provides rest and protection. It provides benefit to countless people. That's the point of the parable. The kingdom starts small, so small you can hardly notice it, and it grows to something unbelievably big. And remember, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like this seed. He's teaching about the kingdom. It starts small, and it becomes something amazing. And for Jesus, he had a very unique audience. They already had a lot of information, information about the kingdom. He's just building on that. He's clarifying for them. Jesus knows that these folks that are listening to him, they already believe that the kingdom is going to come. These faithful Jews have been taught over and over, all through the Old Testament, about the kingdom. They were ready for it to come. No one who heard this parable doubts that the kingdom is going to come. The challenge is not will it come, but the challenge for them is is how and and when. And they all had their own ideas about the kingdom, what it would look like. They were living in ancient Rome, watching Roman soldiers who had absolute power and authority to take anything they wanted, any time. They saw this all-powerful emperor who was worshipped like a god. They thought they understood how the world worked. And they assume that God's kingdom, the kingdom of of Yahweh, the one true God, who's so big that he stoops down to look at the earth, they thought his kingdom would be even bigger and badder and better than the Roman Empire. So these folks listening, they were were bought into the fact that there was going to be a kingdom. They knew that God was really big and really powerful. And Jesus just needs to teach them how God plans to solve his size problem. And that's what Jesus addresses right in this parable. He tells them that a seed has been planted, a tiny, seemingly insignificant seed. And that seed is going to grow into the kingdom that everybody longs for. And that's why Jesus chose the mustard seed. For him, it's not essential to stress the, the greatness of the future kingdom. Everybody listening was already bought into that part. It's more important that he find this metaphor emphasizing the kingdom's very tiny beginnings. So what's that seed? It's Jesus himself. He's the embodiment of the kingdom. From the beginning of his ministry, he tells everyone, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. It's here. You're looking at it. God solved his size problem, his bigness problem. God, who has to stoop down to see the heavens and the earth, he made himself small. He didn't appear in the sky where everybody could see. He didn't come as a soldier ready to conquer anybody who stands in the way. He didn't come as a political leader, taking over all the powerful people in the world. He came as a baby. Over and over, God solves his size problem by getting small. From the womb of a virgin emerges the God of the universe. From the tiny backwater town of Bethlehem, a population about the size of Loudon, the Lord was delivered into the world. Well, the heart of the gospel is the same idea. From something small, something unexpected, comes something glorious. So that even on the cross, Jesus is victorious. Even from the grave, Jesus is a conqueror. The whole kingdom is encapsulated in this little parable. Even the parable is small, just two little verses. So God's kingdom, this big, glorious God, his kingdom begins with a single person walking around Judea. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. So Jesus uses this little seed to teach everyone the true nature of the kingdom and really the true nature of God himself. Yeah, he's big. He's bigger than we can ever comprehend. And his kingdom, his, his reign and rule will go on and conquer all the other kingdoms of the world. But the true nature of God is also smallness, intimacy, care. We started this morning with Psalm 113. Let's look at it one more time. The Lord is exalted above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? But now notice the rest of the psalm we didn't read yet. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy up from the trash heap in order to seat them with nobles, with the nobles of his people. He gives the childless woman a household, making her the joyful mother of children. Hallelujah. The psalm and this parable teach us what God does with his bigness, his grandness. He gets small. He gets intimate. He cares about the poor and the needy, the one that nobody else even sees, much less cares about. He's big enough and he's powerful enough to be able to do something about the childless woman and he's small enough to care about her. God solves his size problem by getting small over and over again. The bigger you get, the smaller you have to act. That's the heart of the gospel The heart of God's kingdom is not just in its size and its majesty, but in its smallness, its intimacy, its humility. And one of the things that's so beautiful about this, this little parable is its simplicity, but also its complexity. Because this smallness principle, it's true not just for the kingdom, but that means it shows up also in other ways. It shows up in the church, and it also shows up in the lives of every single person who's a believer. One of the main ways it shows up is in you and me. In individuals, God is doing the same kind of work in your life and in my life, planting a single seed and watching you and me grow into ambassadors for his kingdom. So as we apply this parable to ourselves, a couple of things we need to realize. First, remember, this, this farmer in this parable plants a single seed. He's not wasting anything. For you and me, that means something very, very important. It means that the things that happen in your life, they're not wasted. You your life, all the circumstances of your life, your plan A for God and his kingdom. The growth of his kingdom is dependent on you. God planted a single seed, and he's going to see it grow. If you ever feel insignificant, you ever feel like you're wasting your time or just spinning your wheels, you ever feel like things that have happened in your life that are not a part of the plan, you've got to realize you're just one of these single seeds. God intentionally planted something with you, in you, And he intends for it to grow. He's capable of seeing it grow. So, God is working out this very big plan in your little life. You're one way that God is bringing the kingdom to bear in this world. That should give us all a sense of how valuable we are to God. Nothing is wasted, no one is wasted. It makes me think about a globe that we have at our house. If you own a globe, I don't know if anybody owns a globe anymore, but. Uh, We have a globe, and and you know if you have a globe, that real estate on a globe is precious. Uh, There's only so much detail the map makers can put on a globe. You know, it's not like Google Maps where you can zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and get all the detail. But on a globe, every word, every little dot that represents a city counts. Only so much fits. You have to pick and choose what makes it onto the globe, right? Well, we have this globe at our house. It's pretty small, maybe 10, 12 inches in diameter, And even though it's that small, there's this little dot in eastern Washington. And right next to the dot, there's these little tiny letters that say, Walla Walla, we made the globe, you know. That's how it is with God. The the God who has to stoop down to see the earth has a little dot, a little seed. That's you. You're part of the kingdom that God is planting. So be empowered by that. Be encouraged by that. Don't lose sight of the fact that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In our own lives, in our individual lives, we've got to respond the same way that God responds. We need to get small. We need to get intimate. That means we prioritize our relationship with God, that the intimate time we spend with him, with his word, It also means we follow in God's footsteps in another way. We prioritize relationships, that intimate care. Here at Trinity, we have a very important way that we prioritize relationship, a way that we can all get small. That's through our groups, our growth groups. They're the best way for you to grow in your relationship with God and for you to make relationships with people at Trinity. That's how we all get small. And if you're not yet in a group, you've got a great chance to join one coming up in just a few weeks. GroupLink is an event where uh, you can come, you can learn about our groups, find a group that's a good fit for you and you can leave that night connected to a group. It's just that simple. I want to strongly encourage you to make GroupLink a priority if you aren't already connected to a group. The other big way that this mustard seed principle shows up is in the church. The, the God's global entity, the church, by all rights, should not exist. I mean, there's no logical way that this giant worldwide organism should have started from one person wandering around the Judean wilderness. But that's exactly what happens. The same principle of the kingdom, starting small and growing to something amazing, that's the story of the church. It began with Jesus and then his investment into 12 men. At the beginning of the book of Acts, 120 were gathered in a room praying. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the church. Just a couple of chapters later in the book of Acts, the number increases again, 5,000. And God kept growing that little mustard tree. It kept growing and growing and growing so that the book of Colossians tells us the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. The whole world sees evidence of God's kingdom. I love this quote. From a pastor, Jared Wilson, he says, The kingdom of God is unstoppable and unfathomable because it grows exponentially. Everywhere the gospel goes, the gospel is doing its work. As the sowers scatter the seed, preaching the gospel, testifying to its truth with their good works, making disciples, planting churches, sending out sowers to replicate the work in new places, the branches begin to grow out, spreading to embrace the sun of righteousness that gives them life. And the disciples make disciples who make disciples, and the churches plant churches that plant churches, and the gospel does not return void. The whole world will eventually be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God, every nook and cranny gleaming with the celestial beauty of our faithful Redeemer. God's kingdom is an unstoppable force, and it's carried along by you and me and by the church that God bought with his own blood. So let's make it personal. Let's bring it down to this church. I talk to a lot of folks. I hear a lot of the same kind of things. It's a hard time right now. It just is. But hard does not mean bad. God's still at work in this church. He planted a seed, and he will see it grow. So let me just say this. If you don't think that that God is up to something amazing here at this church, if you don't think something is growing, just wait and see. A seed has been planted. A tree is growing. And yeah, it's been pruned. We've seen some people leave. We've seen some things happen, and that's hard. It's hard to say goodbye to people we care about, but that's part of the way that God grows his kingdom. I mean, look, if God's kingdom is unstoppable, if he chooses to send mature, gospel-centered people out from this church, that's okay. This valley needs plenty more gospel presence. Richardson, Texas needs more gospel presence, right? And if sending people out is how it happens, then we know that God's at work here. That's one way God wants to grow his kingdom. It's hard, but hard does not mean bad. It means more growth is coming. God is not done with this church. He's not done in this valley. There's more growth to come. And now let me be clear. When I say there's more to come, I don't just mean a new pastor. Obviously, that is something that's coming. That's someone that's coming. But I think we've got to be careful to put all our hope on the shoulders of any one person, right? That's, that's not healthy, it's not godly. A new pastor, wonderful addition to be sure, but he's not our savior, right? God's kingdom work doesn't depend just on him or you and me individually, it's all of us together that create a healthy, effective church. So we look forward to a new pastor, yes, we keep praying for that new pastor, but let's also keep a healthy perspective on the role that that person will fill. In this long time of of transition, it's easy to kind of overinflate the role and keep putting things on that person's shoulders that don't necessarily belong there. But this man, he's just a single seed, just like you and me. So it's by working together that we're going to grow healthy and effective. So God solves his size problem by getting small, getting intimate. And from there, he grows it out in these three ways. He grows his kingdom... He grows his people and he grows his church. So let's commit to keep partnering with him. Let's commit to getting small, getting intimately connected with each other, with our own groups, but also partnering with God and in spreading his kingdom throughout this valley and beyond, trusting that he who began a good work will grow it into something amazing. Let me pray. God, we can't help but be overwhelmed by your grandness, your size. It's unfathomable to us. And even all the the words of the scripture are are really not enough for uh, uh, an accurate description of who you are. And yet we also know, God, that you are intimately connected to us. You care about us so much that you know even the thoughts that we can't put into words about us. Lord, you are that close to us. And we want to be people who, like you, get small. We want to be people who are uh, doing the same kind of work that you're doing, spreading the gospel, spreading your kingdom work in all our relationships, both here and outside these doors. And we pray that you would keep doing gospel work and help us to sense how we're connected to the, the bigger piece of all that you're doing in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.